We're going to have some fun this morning. We're going to have three stories from the past and one from the future. As you come to the end of the year, you sometimes look back on what's been happening that year and look forward to the next. We're going to look back thousands of years and we're going to look forward even further. So some stories and towards the end, I'm going to show you some video as well. The first story is the story of Tyre. The second is the story of Nineveh. The third is the story of Babylon. And then we're going to have the story of the future. So I'm going to be using Second Peter as my scripture passage today. And then we'll, I'll read this and then we'll move on to the stories. Dear friends, this is now the second letter I'm writing you in which I'm trying to stir up your pure mind by way of reminder. I want you to recall both the predictions foretold by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your, through your apostles. Above all, understand this. In the last days, blatant scoffers will come, being propelled by their own evil urges and saying, where is his promised return? For ever since our ancestors died, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. So we'll, we'll read the rest of that later. But before then, I want to talk about my first example. And uh, there we go. And my, I'm going to take a, a starting off point, a passage in Ezekiel chapter 28. And this is the, the prophecy. Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Your heart is proud, and you said, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas, yet you are a man, not a God, though you think you are godlike. So I'll tell you the story of Tyre now. So uh, Tyre is in the country of Lebanon. It's not a major city today. It's just a little city. I'll talk about that in a minute. Um, it was established two and a half thousand years before Christ. So it's a very ancient city. And we know that the people there wore beautifully embroidered clothes. The Bible says that their wealth and luxury was unparalleled. But more than anything else, they had ships. They they would trade all over the east and the west. The way they were positioned, and I'll show you a map in a minute, they were the, the perfect place in the trade route. So they're very wealthy, and some of the wealth is described here. You're, by your wisdom and understanding, you have gained wealth for yourself. You have amassed gold and silver in your treasuries. By your great skill in trade, you've increased your wealth, and your heart is proud because of your wealth. So here's a map of where they are, and uh, you can see this is this is Europe with the UK up on the top right, uh, top left, and then this is uh, Africa down the bottom left, and um, you can see over uh, here is Tyre right on the the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. And in the ancient world, it was a, a key point for trade routes coming from the east and then shipping routes going over to the west. So they were phenomenally successful in their trading. Um, but uh, they'd become extremely proud and also they'd become very, very corrupt. There was all kinds of very bad things that were happening in the city. And so the prophecy for them says this, Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Because you think you are godlike, 
I'm about to bring foreigners against you, the most terrifying of nations. They will draw their swords against the grandeur made by your wisdom, and they will defile your splendor. They'll bring down to the pit, bring you down to the pit, and you will die violently in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am God, before the one who kills you, though you are a man and not a God, when you are in the power of those who wound you? You will die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of foreigners, for I have spoken, declares the sovereign Lord. So this is the prophecy. And uh, there's actually, I'm going to look at um, some more detail in this in just a moment about what God is actually going to do. I'm verse seven. I'll just read the highlighted verses. I'm about to bring King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, king of kings, against Tyre from the north with horses, chariots, and horsemen, an army of hordes of people. Verse 8, he'll kill your daughters in the field with a sword. He'll build a siege wall against you, erect a siege ramp against you, and raise a great shield against you. He will direct the blows of battering rams against your walls and smash down your towers with his weapons. Let's move on to verse 12. Your stones, your trees, and your dirt he will throw into the water. I will silence the noise of your songs... Make it a bit bigger for you. Um, silence uh, the noise of your songs. The sound of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You will be a place where fishing nets are spread. You will never be built again. For I, the Lord, have spoken. And then look at verse uh, 18 at the bottom. Now the coastlands will tremble on the day of your fall. The coastlands by the sea will be terrified by your passing. So notice uh, some of the details. There'll be a king called Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, He'll come from Babylon. He'll bring siege engines. He'll break the walls, destroy the city. He'll smash the towers. He'll throw the rubble into the sea. Even the dirt scraped off to leave the rock bare, it says. Um, There'll be a place for spread. They will become a place for the spreading of fishermen's nets. The surrounding nations will be terrified and it will never be rebuilt. So those are the prophecies about this place. So 17 years after this prophecy was given, uh, the great king Nebuchadnezzar came and conquered Jerusalem. We know that. We know exactly what the timing was for that. He then went north and laid siege to the city of Tyre. And he wanted Tyre very badly because it was a very wealthy city. It was it was a duel. So he wanted Tyre, and eventually uh, he did exactly what the prophecy said. He, they were well fortified, but he brought battering rams, and he smashed the walls down. When he got inside, he found it was empty. The, he'd, he should have thought, these people make their living with ships. You know, that's what they do. They had all evacuated and moved to an island offshore. And not only had they all evacuated, but they had taken everything of value. So when he got into the city, he was furious. He was so angry that he ordered his army to smash everything to rubble. They destroyed everything. Just as the prophecy said, everything was destroyed and, and made into rubble. Um, these The inhabitants had gone to a couple of islands just off the coast, and they were completely safe. And so he, in the end, he was, he's, after smashing the city, he went home without the treasures. But the problem is that that's not the end of the prophecy. Uh, the prophecy, that's really only the first part, uh, up here about batching rams smashing down walls. Uh, 
what about all this about stones thrown into the water, making the rock bare, place for fishing nets? What about that? What's going to happen with that? Well, for generations, this prophecy remained unfulfilled. For generations, it was there in the book of Ezekiel, and it wasn't, didn't come true. For 240 years, this prophecy remained unfulfilled. So 240 years later, Alexander the Great, one of the greatest world empires ever, he was beginning his astonishing sweep of across the world with his army, capturing city after city. And um, they were falling before him. And what happened was he arrived at Tyre and the island city defied him. They defied him. Actually, let's go back there. I won't give you the game away. They defied him and laughed at him. And that made him so angry, he was determined they were not going to be able to succeed against him. So he decided to build a causeway one kilometer long from the land out into the Mediterranean Sea to the island. And what material do you think he used to build this causeway? Anybody guess? Exactly. The dirt from the city, the stones from the city, and in fact, so he scraped the rock bare in order to make this causeway. So he made it, and uh, let's just see the the map there. Um, They're maybe 700 or 800 meters long, marched across this causeway and destroyed the city, uh, did exactly what he threatened to do, and uh, he, um, as a result of that, the surrounding cities were so terrified, they thought, if he's got this determination, what chance do we have? So they surrendered. And so the, the uh, verse that we had at the end, the coastlands will tremble on the day of your fall, fall at the bottom there. The coastlands by the sea will be terrified by your passing. And so this this actually happened, and they surrendered, and he was able to go on his his path of conquest. So... What happened then following that? What happened to this city? Well, where is it today? What happened is the, the causeway is still there, but if you look at that dotted line, the, pre, the coastline, this, the sea has kind of washed uh, up uh, soil against it, and it's widened it out. So this, this, the tire now is on the end of a peninsula that is... Uh, sticking out into the ocean and it's all been silted up and although the old causeway is there still it's all part of a landmass and so nobody would build would rebuild this old city now um it's it's not a good location we'll see on the video shortly um and there's just this little town there's not there's a little village there now it's the, the, the city of tyre is was was rebuilt on the island originally but then that was destroyed by alexander so let me ask you a question why do you think god had this prophecy fulfilled in two stages and didn't have it all done in one go He could have done it all at once. Why leave it 240 years between? Can you suggest why that might be? Well, I can suggest two reasons. One, it actually magnifies the accuracy of the prophecy because it looks so unlikely. And everybody can say, if there's a prophecy that looks likely and looks probable, they can say, oh, they were guessing. But there's no way that this prophecy could have been guessed by 
the way that it's written out, because it's so unlikely that that second part would have been fulfilled. The other one is, I think, to strengthen the faith in God's promises that even if they haven't been fulfilled, they might still be fulfilled. That God is somebody that will keep every detail of what he says. And just because something hasn't yet been accomplished doesn't mean to say that it won't be. So that's my first story. That's the story of Tyre. We're now going to look at Nineveh and then look at Babylon. So Nineveh is further across to the uh, to the east than Tyre. It's right up here near the, uh, the, the south of the Black Sea. And uh, uh, Nineveh was absolutely vast in size. It was just a phenomenally large city. And it was... Uh, it was just uh, unbelievably big. It was the capital of the, the uh, Assyrian Empire. Just to give you an example, the walls were seven and a half miles long. That's how long the walls were. What would that be in kilometers? Or 11 or 12, 12 kilometers, something like that. That's how long the walls were going around. Um, they were, um, these walls were 100 feet high and up to 150 feet thick in places. Uh, but it was a very cruel city. And an earlier generation, Jonah had gone to and they'd repented, but this generation had become very corrupt and it was an extremely violent city, just a very, very wicked. In fact, Nahum says, Woe to the city, guilty of bloodshed. She is full of lies. She is filled with plunder. This is a city full of bloodshed. Um, the, the the city was so strong that uh, we 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 were told that six chariots could go side by side on top of the walls. So that's how wide the walls were. Six chariots could go side by side. Those days, uh, battering battering rams were a very common way of attacking cities. Is an ancient relief of showing battering rams, but these would be totally ineffective against a city that was this strong. It was so secure. No battering ram could break it. No man could climb it. Um, another another shot of one of the gates in the walls. Um, but uh, but the city was violent and cruel, and in the book of Nahum we have some prophecies against it. But with an overwhelming flood, he will make a complete end of Nineveh. He will drive his enemies into darkness. Surely they will be totally consumed, like entangled thorn bushes, like drink of drunkards, like very dry stubble. The sluice gates are open, the royal palace is deluged and dissolved. Nineveh was like a pool of water throughout her days, but now her people are running away. She cries out, stop, stop, but no one turns back. Your warriors will become like women in your midst. The gates of your land will be wide open to your enemies. Fire will consume the bars of your gates. So look at the themes through that, the idea of floods, of drunkenness, of fire, a river overflowing, and the walls being open to the enemies. Those are the kind of the themes that are coming through in this uh, prophecy against the city of, of uh, Nineveh. Sometimes people argue against prophecy because they say, well, it must have been written after the event, and it was, you know, that means it doesn't have any effect. But here, the time lapse is very large between the the writing of the book of Nahum and the time this actually happened with Nineveh. And also the historical evidence is very good for knowing exactly what happened. Well, for a hundred years, nothing happened. 
A hundred years afterwards, nothing happened at all. The city continued in its corruption, in its violence, in its bloodshed. And uh, but then the Medes and the and the Babylonians, who were the upcoming empire, began to besiege the city. And they came to attack it, but it was no use. They couldn't do anything. The city was so big that they actually had fields with cattle inside. They could exist indefinitely. They could feed themselves. Uh, Sieging them was useless. But God would keep his promise. And right at the very time, at that very time as the armies were ready and everyone was there, at that point in history, the river Tigris had an unprecedented flood that there were no records of it ever having before. This flood was so great uh, and the river ran alongside the wall alongside this wall and sections of the wall, whole sections subsided as the water eroded the the foundations of this wall. And it doesn't matter how big or how wide the wall is, it couldn't stand against the River Tigris, which is one of the major rivers of that area. And the giant gates were, were open, the city was defenseless. Now at that time, the king uh, was having a, a, a drunken... Uh, feast in his palace and when word came that the walls were collapsing um, they realized what was going to be happening and they decided that rather than fall into the hands of their enemy that they would set fire to the palace and die in the blaze and so you can see all of these things they're totally consumed like thorn bushes like the drink of drunkards like dry stubble uh, all of these words are, are of the the flooding the drunkenness, the fire, the pool of water, the gates being wide open to the enemies. Um, all of these things are fulfilled in this extraordinary event that happened that broke the city down. And so um, rather than allow themselves to be captured, then they, they, they just set fire to parts of the city. They died in the blaze. The city was never rebuilt. And it wasn't until 1845 that archaeologists even discovered where it was. You can actually go, and nowadays you can actually see, you can go around parts and see parts of the uh, the ruins that have been been uh, uncovered. So quite a, a remarkable, amazing way in God, in the way that God uh, fulfilled the prophecy. So that's uh, Tyre, Nineveh, and the last we're going, we're going to talk about is Babylon. Now, if you thought that Nineveh was big, Babylon was even larger. Babylon, over here, further to the uh, to the east than the other cities, and uh, it's uh, one of the great cities of, of all time. Uh, you can even see it, see parts of it from Google Earth. You can you can zoom in, you can see parts that they've uncovered. Uh, here's one of the gates of this city. Uh, this is a. a a chart showing the an ancient drawing showing the temple of, of Belus, the temple of Belus, which you can see there. It, it's not, it's not, no, it's destroyed now, but it was six hundred feet high. Can you imagine? Six hundred feet, like nowadays, that's a big building. That's a very big building, six hundred feet high. I don't know, is that sixty stories high, something like that? This was like a man-made mountain. This was the level of architecture. The walls they had um, were up to 300 feet high and up to 80 feet thick. And uh, there's also 
Um, We have the stories, we don't have the actual recovered any, uh, but we know that they had what was called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Um, And we think that what it was, these Hanging Gardens were were actually like artificial mountainsides covered in plants. And the story is that one of the emperors had married a wife from a, a, a very mountainous country, and she was pining for her homeland. So he said, don't pine, I'll build you a replica of your homeland. So he built these mountainsides covered in plants, and this became known over, over the ancient world, and people would talk about the, one of the great wonders of the world were these um, hanging gardens, which haven't survived, but uh, we know they must have been pretty spectacular. Isaiah called it the golden city. This is just one of the wall decorations, a lion decoration. So what I'm going to do now is to show you a video. And if we could have the lights off, please, to see the video. And uh, I want you just to bear with us. This is a, a very old video. So like this, the, the style of presentation is old. and it's, um, But it's, it's, it's great. I love the content. So we're going to look at that now. So um, I... One of the prophecies about Tyre was that it would become a place for the spreading of nets. So it was great to see that bit of videos to see it actually that happening in place. Um, what they didn't say in the video concerning Babylon was how they got into this impregnable city. What they did is the army noticed that the the, uh, the water supply for the city came through the river, which flowed through these gates into the city, very secure gates the river flowed through into the city, and that's how they had the water supply. What they decided to do was way upstream, a long, long way up, they built a lake, an artificial lake. And, you know, the amount of construction power required to do these th- things were amazing. But they, they did this. And then on the, on the night with the timing, when the army was, was ready, they, sw- they built a dam across the river and switched the flow of this great river into this artificial lake. So the river was, became completely dried up. And the river was completely dried up. There was enough room as it went into the city for the army to watch through in the riverbed. And that was how they identified the weak point in the city and they were able to get in. And it was a complete shock and that's why they were able to just so rapidly destroy the city. So that's the, um, that's the city of Babylon. So that's three stories from the past and one for the future. We've done Tyre, we've done Nineveh and we've just done Babylon. And we're now going to talk about the end of the world. And I started by reading Second Peter and the first four verses. We're just going to carry on. Um, let's look at um, uh, verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire by being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Now, dear friends, do not let this one thing escape your notice, that a single day is like a thousand years with the Lord, and a thousand years are like a single day. In other words, time, God's patient. God can wait uh, a thousand years very, very easily. It's not like us who get impatient. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some regard slowness, but is being patient towards you, because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in other words, without any warning. When it comes, the heavens will disappear with a roar, and the stars and planets will melt away in a blaze, and the earth and every deed done in it will be laid bare. 
Since all these things are to melt away in this manner, what sort of people must we be conducting our lives in holiness and godliness while waiting for and hastening the coming day of the day of the God? Because of this day, the heavens will be burned up and dissolved and the stars and planets will melt away in a blaze. But according to his promise, we're waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness truly resides. Therefore, dear friends, since you're waiting for these things, strive to be found at peace without spot or blemish when you come into his presence. So Peter's argument is basically this. God has kept his promises in the past. He will keep them in the future. Even though sometimes it looked like he wasn't going to keep them, he did, in the end, keep them precisely. And so the... Uh, then, so as a result of that, he said we need to, ta- to take seriously what has got, God has promised in the future. So what I'm going to, I'm going to end by giving you three responses that I think we can have to this. The first is that if you're not prepared for Jesus' return, you need to be because his return is sure. And the offer is open and free. His offer of protection and for salvation is completely free. Uh, so that's the first response. Be prepared. The second, so 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 uh, that's the uh, that's the uh, um, that should say if you are a Christian, be prepared. Sorry, that's <laughs> I was thinking that's the same thing again. If you are a Christian, then be prepared. Um, you know, we may not see the end of 2019. Uh, God, we don't know when God's going to come again. So remember that this life is finishing. Don't put all your treasure and all your effort into what you're building now. Remember that, that God is going to be returning and there will be an eternity. But my third point, my third response here is, do you ever say, where's God? Why doesn't he answer my prayers? Have you ever been in a situation, or maybe you're in a situation now, where you're just longing for God's promise to come true in your life? And you feel God has said something and is there in his word, and it's not come true. And I want to encourage you that this is an encouragement to us, because here we see that God's time spans are not ours. And be comforted by this, that God made these promises and he kept them true to the last detail. He is faithful. He will keep the promises he has kept. And so if you, if there's anything that, um, that is in your life where you feel you're just, you're just feeling hopeless that maybe God will not keep your promises, then, then I would like to ask you, you can come up to, to me, uh, afterwards and I'll pray with you or anyone who was was in the worship team today to pray for you um, that that God will uh, will meet your needs and encourage you in this situation so I'd like to ask the worship team to come up right now and while they're just coming up I'm going to just close in prayer <clears throat> thank you father you're a faithful God that your word will come to pass and that you've demonstrated the most amazing ways so that we can have confidence in you. And Lord, we know that soon this world will be gone, and soon you will return as you promised. Lord, we pray that everyone here will be ready for that. And Lord, we pray, whether we're Christians or whether we're not Christians, Lord, that we'll be ready and waiting for you to come. And Father, we pray, Lord, for those here right now who are discouraged because it seems that your words have not come true. 
and they're waiting and you've not answered their prayers. And Lord, I pray that you would encourage them right now, that you're a God who sees them, who hears, who listens. And just because our timescales are not the same as your timescales doesn't mean that you haven't heard us. So Lord, encourage us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.